0: All right. Well, good morning. We're so glad you guys are here. If you are new, we're super excited that you took some time to spend with us. If you're watching online or listening to this later, uh, we're so glad that you guys are tuning in or watching this online. One more quick announcement. Uh, If you are participating in our What Is class, our last session will not be tonight. It'll actually be on February 19th. And so we will not meet tonight. Next week is the Super Bowl, although at this point, who really cares, okay? Who really cares? Now, I'm excited for you Cincinnati fans that all of a sudden decided you want to be one. So, uh, except for Justin Reynolds, who's always been a Cincinnati fan, and I feel good for him. So, uh, But anyway, so uh, that will not be tonight, next week's Super Bowl. So the 19th will be our final session. We're going to offer that class up again uh, sometime in March, probably on Wednesday nights. And so uh, we would love for you to participate in that. And then Rusty is doing a what-is class. Class, a What is Revelations uh, class? Revelation class uh, later this semester as well. So we're super excited about that, but just want to let you guys know that last announcement. Now, we are in this Pillars series, and we are taking a look at some pillars that we kind of believe in here at Journey, but are also core to faith. And we talked about people the first week. Last week, we talked about worship and using our voices. And so today, we're going to kind of turn a little bit And I want to set you up with an idea that we've talked about before, uh, but it's something that's really important for me. And I think it's something that as you kind of think through, it'll be important for you. And so I want to start by asking the question of when you think about God, when you hear the word God, what images come to mind? So when we think about God, um, most of us probably have images or ideas that come to mind. And, And so what are those images? What are those things that we think about? And for many people, their concept of God is built around a God who's kind of outside of everything. So we have reality, we have our world, we have the things that we experience, and that God somehow exists outside of those things. Essentially, a God who is somewhere else, a God who made the world, that kind of stands back and watches it, and then every once in a while, he intervenes with kind of the things that are going on. Now, you may not have thought about that, but for a lot of us, that's kind of the way we think about it. And so because God is elsewhere and God is not, for some of us, we feel like directly connected to everything that's going on around us, um, it makes it hard for us to understand God personally. And, and so some of us, if we're honest, we, we, we don't like to say this in church because it sounds weird, but some of us, if we're honest, we don't really feel like we're that close to God. We want to be. That's why you're here right? I mean, that's why you come and that's why you do the things you do and you come and you participate and you sing the songs and and you get involved and you go to studies and you get in small groups. I mean, you want to feel close to God, but for some of us, it just seems like we just keep reaching for it and nothing seems to be happening. And maybe part of that is our misunderstanding of actually who God is and how he relates to us. And then there's others of us that it's it's this idea that... um, We want to be close to God, but we feel like the problem is in some ways there's this brokenness inside of us. And because there's this brokenness inside of us, what we feel like is we can't be connected to God. For a lot of us, we've been traumatized by our past, or we've been wounded by our past. And sometimes part of that wound in our past is self inflicted. Or sometimes, if we're honest, a lot of our stories is. We, we tried to get connected to God, and then somebody or some group of people that said they represented God hurt us. In fact, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I, can, I can deal with your sin stuff. We, we can talk about sin. It's your church baggage that's often hard to deal with, right? I mean, some of us have some traumatic stories about this, about what it was that we experienced when people tried to tell us about God, and so we've been wounded by that, And maybe for some of us, we feel like there was a chance at some point where we could have been really connected to God and God be in our life, and we had potential, but that time has passed. And the older we get, sometimes the more we feel like the time for God to use us and be connected to everything going on seems to get further and further away. But what if this idea of God existing elsewhere and then every once in a while intervening and God existing outside of us, what if that's simply not true? What if the tears that you've shed, the moments of pain that we've all experienced, what if in those things that God is actually closer than we realize? Those moments where you wondered if you could take one more step or one more breath, What if in those moments where we feel like God is elsewhere, those are actually the moments that God is actually closer than we ever realized, and he's actually just one breath away? God is actually a God who can understand people who are in bondage. God is a God who actually hears the cries of freedom from people. In the book of Exodus, there's this story that we've talked about before about a man named Moses. Now, most of you are familiar with Moses, but before we get to this point in the story, we have to do a little bit of setup. And so most of you guys kind of understand the setup, but we start with the story of Adam, which is Adam and Eve, which kind of represents man. Now, whether it was physically an actual Adam and Eve, or if that's just a representation of the beginning of man, you can debate that with the Bible scholars. But here's the story, okay? So you have Adam and Eve, and everything is going well, and then everything starts to fall apart because of a choice that we as human beings made. And it gets to the point where there becomes kind of like this separation between the ideal world that God's created and what we are choosing. And it gets so bad that eventually we get to the story of Noah, which is this kind of tr- tragic story where it gets to the part where th- that God says he's literally grieved in his heart that he's made man because man just keeps chasing after the evil things. And so God kind of has this reset, and this moment to start over. But he doesn't want to lose man, so he wants to rebuild on this. And then we get into the story of Abraham, which is kind of the foundation of the the faith that we have and a lot of the faith of the world. And it's this idea of God reconnecting with man and setting this covenant of what God can do with man. And then we get to the story of Isaac, which is the son of Abraham, which becomes this kind of tragic story of this man chasing after God, but there's all this tragedy in his life. And then we get to his son Jacob. And Jacob and the deception that he lives and the life that he lives that hurts himself and hurts other people. And eventually Jacob has these 12 sons. And eventually he gets a name, Israel, which is where we get the word Israel from. This idea of the people of Israel, the people, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. And there's a story of this guy named Joseph. And Joseph is interesting Because Joseph, he's in Egypt and and he's doing well in Egypt, but he brings his brothers along. And because all of these people end up in Egypt and there's 12 of them and they have wives and they reproduce, you guys know how that works and all that stuff. They end up growing to become a whole lot of people. And eventually it gets to this point where the people in Egypt say, there's so many of these people that are living here that we're afraid that they'll outnumber us and they'll actually take us over. And so because they're scared, the people of Egypt, they enslave the Israelites And for 400 years, these people are enslaved in Egypt. 400 years is a long time, right? 400 years is longer than our country has existed, right? And that's a long time. Generations of people that have grown up in this bondage, in this slavery, in this lack of hope of every day making bricks and bricks and bricks. And then there comes Moses. And Moses is going to be this point in the story where everything is going to shift. In fact, if you take the what is the Bible class, we see that the story of Moses is kind of the shift in thinking. It's the Pentateuch, it's the Torah, it's this new understanding of how God and how he relates. And in Exodus chapter 2, we see this idea where God hears the cry of his people, and so he decides he's going to send someone, and this person he's going to send is Moses. And isn't that interesting how it works Sometimes. That when God answers prayer, sometimes it's actually through people. And so God first appears to Moses, and, and he has this moment where he, he's walking on this, this mountain. And the story of Moses is kind of a fascinating story, but he's walking on this mountain. He's, he's now at this point, he's a shepherd. He was this man of prominence, and now he's a shepherd, and he's walking on this mountain. And, and he comes up across this part, and there's this burning bush. And God says to Moses, take off your sandals because the ground that you're standing on is holy, right? Can you imagine being Moses? Like we read these stories that we're like, oh yeah, there was a burning bush. He had never seen that before, right? It's like there's this moment where everything's about to change for him. And so he says this thing in Exodus chapter three, listen to this, and I love this verse. This is what God says. He says, the Lord said, I have seen the troubles My people have suffered in Egypt, and I have heard their cries when the Egyptian slave masters hurt them, and I am concerned about their pain. Now, we've talked about this before, but how much would you give just to know that God sees your troubles and he's concerned about your pain? And so God tells Moses, "I'm going to send you in, and this this unveiling story. I'm going to send you in, and you're going to rescue these people. You're going to liberate these people. But there's a problem. It's been 400 years, and the bigger problem is it's been even many more years since that, since this covenant with Abraham." And so the people have kind of forgotten, they've kind of lost their way. And so Moses asked this question, he says, well, if I'm going to go and I'm going to tell these people that God sent me, that you sent me, well, here's the question, Um, who are you? Who are you? And isn't that the question that many of us ask when it comes to God? Like, who actually are you? Like, you come here and you read your Bible and you hear the stories of guys tell you things, but at the end of the day, don't you just sometimes want to ask, like, who, who actually are you? So Moses says to God, So, so what's your name? Like, who, who are you? Like, if, if I'm going to do this, sk- this thing, if I'm going to go and do this scary thing, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand before the most powerful man in the world and I'm going to tell him that God said that you should let these people go, like, who are you? In Exodus chapter 3, God replies, and he says, I am who I am. When you go to the people of Israel, tell them, I am sent me to you. Well, that's real helpful. (laughs) Just say, I am. Just, I am said so, okay? And so God probably realizes he's being a little bit vague, and so in 15, it says this. God said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Listen, it's been a long time, but remember the lineage of this story. I'm the same God that worked with all of them in their life. Now there's an interesting thing that happens when God answers this question. So what you saw, if you put that verse back up, sorry there, Jennifer. If you put that verse back up, what you'll see is you'll see, say to the Israelites, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now that's what we see in our English translation, but the reality is the Bible wasn't written in English. And so this is actually a translation of another Hebrew word. Now, this word, the L-O-R-D, and if you probably ever paid attention when you read your Bible, you'll see it because it looks kind of funny. Every once in a while, you'll see this capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the middle of a sentence, right? It's just like, it's like they got stuck on caps lock, you know, and they just typed it in, right? Okay, so, so there's a reason that they do this, okay? This is the Hebrew name for God. It actually appears about 6,000 times we see in the Bible. So often in different ways, but this one specifically, when it's written like this, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D... What this stands for is a word that you maybe have used. You would refer to it as Yahweh or Yahweh. You ever heard that? It's the Hebrew thing. Now, what's interesting is that's not actually how it's pronounced. So the one thing about the Hebrew language that's interesting is they didn't use vowels. All right? It's a very primitive language, a very ancient language, and they didn't use vowels. And so what you actually see when you see this is you see Y-H-V-H. Now, why is that interesting? Well, these rabbis, they believe that these letters, Y-H-V-H, they actually kind of acted like vowels. The Hebrew language is a very, like, breathy language, and so what happens is they believe that these actually kind of acted as the sound of breathing as you say other words. So the way that we would say it now is, yo, That's what it sounded like. And so it's this interesting thing where essentially he, he tells him his name, but it's this name that can't really even be pronounced. In fact, many rabbis will tell you it was actually kind of sounded like the sound of breathing. That, that when God says, my name is, it was actually the sound of breath. Now, this is interesting. See, the book of Genesis says that God created the first person. Now, the way he created them, he took dirt from the ground, and God shaped it and formed it. And then, if you've ever paid attention, what does he do to that that form? He breathes into it. The word that we see is neishma, which is essentially breath. The other word that we use for that, that's interchangeable, is the word rua. In Greek, it actually becomes the word pneuma. Now, what's fascinating is the Hebrew writers and the Greek writers, they took these words and they were very interchangeable because what they understood was the word breath also is the same word that we use for the word spirit, that essentially that God breathes his spirit into man. In the Hebrew, the word, the word for, for ground is Adama, and Adama, we get Adam, okay? From Adam, we get ground man or dirt man, right? Right, women? Dirt men, right? <laughs> From the dust is what it means. Now, think about this. You and I, in all that we think we are, our essential makeup is dust and breath. The writer of Psalms reminds us over and over again that each person's life is just a breath. Solomon will tell us it's just a vapor. It's short. It's brief. It's fragile. And we know it's fragile, right? If you ever walked the halls of a hospital, you know how fragile life can be. If you've ever stood over a casket, if you ever driven by a really bad car accident, we know how fragile we actually are. And at the same time, we've been breathed into by the creator of the universe. The divine breath is given to every single human being. In Psalms, David is trying to figure this out, and he says in Psalms chapter 8, he says, I look at your heavens, which you made with your fingers. I see the moon and the stars, which you have created. These these complicated things. But why are people even important to you? Why do you take care of human beings? You made them a little lower than the angels, which kind of seems like a dig, but then you also crowned them with glory and honor. You and I are sacred, divine dirt clods. That's what we are. And yet we possess untold power and strength. That is the paradox of being a human being. Now, the ancient writers, they understood this physical breath that we all take that actually has a deeper reality. See, they understood that not only are we talking about breath, they were talking about breathing. They were actually talking about the thing that keeps us alive. Stop breathing and you'll find out life doesn't last very long, right? So we have to breathe. So their understanding is we have to breathe, but not only do we have to breathe for physical life, we also need the spirit in order to exist, the breath that God gives us. And they actually believed the spirit of the breath of God could actually dwell inside of a person, This is the teaching we get. That Jesus says that literally this idea that the spirit of God can actually live inside of each one of us. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter eight. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by the same spirit living within you. So here's what he's saying. The exact same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, which is why all of us are here, by the way. You know that, right? Jesus doesn't rise from the dead. None of us are here. This is another ancient Eastern religion. But because of this belief of what the Spirit of God can do and what it did in Jesus, that's why we're here. And here's what he's saying. That same Spirit is available to you. That same breath is available to you. That is in you, And it's with you. The Spirit of God, this breath thing, what it does is it sanctifies us. It it creates within us this new thing. And and what's interesting is we think about breath. That's kind of what breath does too, right? Breath is this idea of we we are breathing in the things that we need to survive. And we're breathing out the things that can harm us, right? You guys know how breath works, right? I don't need to explain all that, okay? So, So that's what it is. I mean, you're literally, you're releasing the things that you don't need, and you're inhaling the things that you do need. And the same is true of God, right? That God's Spirit comes in and it guides us and it sanctifies us. And, and, and when we follow God, and when we allow God's Spirit into us, what does God's Spirit help us do? It helps us to bring in the things in our hearts and our minds and our lives that we need. And it helps us get rid of the things that we don't need. Each day, all of us in this room take about 26,000 breaths, which is about 14,000 liters of air, which is a lot. They say that we only need to take about four and six breaths a minute to actually live, but most of us take between 16 and 20 breaths a minute. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Most experts say that we actually get about 90% of our energy actually from breathing, When you breathe, it actually allows you the oxygen in your body coming in, and I don't want to get all technical here, but it allows you to break down the food that's in your body that gives you the energy that you need. You should have paid attention in science class. Now, here's the thing. 90% of our energy actually comes from oxygen. But most experts actually say that we only access 10 to 20% of that energy. Most of it we waste. I mean, think about everything you have going on every single day. Who has time to actually think about their breathing? I want to do something. We did this a few weeks ago, and we do it all the time, and you're going to be like, why is Jeremy so obsessed with breathing? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody just to take, ready, on the count of three, a deep breath. One, two, three. You're breathing in the things that you need, and you're exhaling the things that you don't. I have an Apple Watch. I don't know if you guys know about these things, but they're kind of everywhere now. And um, my Apple Watch, it does this thing. It, it pays attention to my heart rate, um, but it also knows when I'm stressed out. You guys know this? It'll, you can set it up to do this. And when I'm stressed out, do you know what my watch tells me to do? To breathe. To breathe. And it actually tries to walk me through this exercise because here's what we're finding out. Modern science is now catching up with the thing that we see over and over again in the Old and New Testament, this idea of our connection to breathing, not only for our physical needs, but also for our spiritual need. When we have stress, anxiety, worry, fear, watches now tell us to breathe. To breathe in what we need and to let go of... What well, we don't see, some of us we don't feel very connected to God because there's all this stuff in our life that seems to be distracting us from Him. But what if, when we breathe, what if we're actually breathing in? We're actually saying, the name of God? What if with every breath we take, we're actually more connected to him than we ever realized? And as we breathe him in, and we exhale, how about this? Is there anything you need to let go of? Like, honestly. Like, is there anything that's in your mind or in your heart right now that you need to breathe out? that you know is not helpful for you as a human? And it's definitely not helpful to connect you to the God who loves you and hears your cries and wants to be with you so desperately. Is there anything you need to breathe out as you breathe God in? Jesus said the Spirit of God, what it does is it guides us in truth. Is there any truth that you need to breathe in? So, so the ancient writers, there's this thing where they believe that that we get this breath from God, and then Moses comes along and he tells us when he says, "Well, what is your name?" and God tells him, "My name is Yahweh." It's breath. It's life. Every breath you take, are you really just saying the name of God? Are you calling on him? And what implications does this have if it's true? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. Always be humble and gentle and patient, accepting each other in love. That sounds like a stretch, right? Okay, You are joined together with peace through the Spirit, through your breath. So make every effort to continue together in this way. There is one body and one spirit and one God called you to have one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There is one God and Father of everything. Now listen to this. He rules everything and is everywhere and is in everything. Is everywhere and is in everything. Thing. The writers of the Bible seem to think that God is not distant, that God is not somewhere else and sometimes intervenes, that He is right here with us everywhere and in everything. And maybe the reason they believe that is because He's as close as your next breath. God has given us life, God has given us hope he's given us the air that we breathe the breath that you just took and the breath you took before that and the breath you're about to take are all gifts from God who's as close as he's ever been and so Moses he's at the scene where he's got to do this really hard thing and so he, he asks, he says well who are you and he says, well, tell them I'm um, the Lord. This teaching I heard years ago that was based upon this idea of breathing and the teacher at the end of it, he says, you know, when we think about this, and he said, this is not new. This is not like new age thing. This is not Jeremy. just like, what's he been smoking? This is, this is, this is what they believed. They believed that the, the name God, that, like literally, that it's like this breath. It's this fresh air. In fact, they believed it was so sacred and holy, you couldn't even write it down. Some traditions wouldn't even say it. I remember years ago hearing this, this teacher, and he, he, he said, when, when you hear this and you go, yah, hey, wow, yeah, hey, sound of breathing, the name of God. He said, When a baby is born, what's the first thing it's got to do, or the baby's not going to make it? It's got to breathe. And he said, Is it that it has to breathe, or is the first thing all of us have to do when we enter this world is to say the name of God? And what's the last thing you do before you die? Is the last thing that you do, is it breathe? Or is it when you can no longer say the name of God, you no longer have life within you? says, think about it like this. I mean, is it possible you could be talking to someone who says, there is no hope? There is no hope. Maybe you have said, there is no hope. And as you say that, and as you breathe, all I hear is, Yo, hey, ha, We believe that God is here, right now. And not like just here right now, like we have to invite him into church okay? Like, uh, you're welcome to come in now. Like, that God is with us, according to Paul, everywhere and in everything. And maybe God is in everywhere and everything in your life. You just weren't aware of it. Before God tells Moses that he's, he's this, this name, this Lord, this, this big idea. The other thing that he does is he tells him to take off his shoes because he's standing on holy ground. Now what's interesting is that Moses has walked this mountain hundreds if not thousands of times, that exact same spot. And it was never holy before, was it? And so here's the question. Is it the ground that changed Or was it his awareness of it that changed? And what if this is true of you? What if the ground that we stand on is holy ground? Not because anything changed, but because you're finally aware of it. That the God who is everywhere and in everything, the breath that gives us life, the breath that gives us hope, the breath that moves us forward, what if it's always been there? And the reason we think this is holy ground is because once a week we become aware of it. But it's always been there and it will always be there. Maybe as we slow down and breathe, maybe you become more and more aware that God is with you and in you. Maybe for some of you, it's the belief that God has heard the cry of his people. He hears your cries and he has not forgotten you or forsaken you. That when we live and we move and we breathe, that God is actually with us. We also believe here that it's not the steps you've taken to this point. It's the next one you take that matters the most. And maybe for some of you, it's the realization that God is not far, but He's very, very close. And He wants to be with you and live through you and in you. And for you, it's just accepting that love and that grace and that mercy that He offers you as you breathe in and you breathe out. Let's pray.